Hey there, I'll do this real quick. If you like this show and want to support this show and others like it, consider going to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv. That is the best way to uh, support this work. There you go. I said it would be quick. Welcome to Radio Free Midworld, a podcast about the Dark Tower series of books by Stephen King. My name is Cole Ross, and today I am joined once again by Autumn Greer. Hey, Autumn. Hey, Cole. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm um, whew, I'm I'm looking forward to talking about this section. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it's really kind of split in half between like good good action and yeah, this baby stuff. It's um. That <laughs> we didn't we didn't do enough explanation at the beginning of the book, so we got to really <laughs> drill down on a cellular level to how this baby was made. Yeah, um, they just we 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 need to make sure just go back over this, underline the relevant passages, um, and just really <laughs> really get into the mechanics. Um, I'll I'll just I'll just say this at the, at the front because it's an image that came to me. You know, sometimes like oh they really just kind of like oh that was a stretch. Like to, you know, to, to, to explain that, like, uh, it's a little bit of a stretch or sometimes say like, oh, they're doing like backflips. Oh, he just really had to do, do backflips to make that work. God, if he, if he weren't such a good writer, I mean, this should, this, this whole section should be just a terrible data dump where, I mean, just endless explanation, but somehow I'm here for it. Yeah. Yeah. Even though he is running a canine agility course to, <laughs> to, I think may, maybe just overcomplicate this demon baby. <laughs> When, when when Walter goes over that obstacle and then flag um, goes through that little shoot, it's amazing. Yeah. Oof, the, the the grace, the majesty. <laughs> um, yeah. So we're continuing to talk about uh, Song of Susanna this time, uh, stanzas seven through ten. Um, previously, you know, the tet, uh, the Katet set, set out to rescue Susanna, but their wires got crossed because Ka's a tricksy old pirate. Um, and so, um, Eddie and Roland, instead of being sent to New York to rescue Susanna, uh, sent to Maine. Um, additionally, we got to see a little bit of, uh, how Susanna is managing with all of these, uh, these headmates that she has. Um, and this section is going to be mostly about, uh, Roland and Eddie, uh, in the seventies in Maine. Kicking ass, taking names. Yeah. Um, minus the um, full-scale battle that takes place in this, this is probably the most appealing Stephen King has made main seem. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Is the, is the, the descriptions Aside from the exploding tanker trucks and the gun battles, yeah, it, it does seem like a nice place to summer. You you always have to take the good with the bad, but you've got the you've got the lake and you've got the cottages. Yeah. Every everybody seems to have Percocet lying around. <laughs> it's the seventies. They didn't even it's, it's not even uh, it was a different time. Is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we can get started here um, uh, with the ambush because a lot happens. So remember last time, Autumn, we talked about, um, you know, oh, they went through the door, Eddie hit his head, and then the shooting began, and Mia, she done ratted out 
uh, all of the plans to Sayer and the and the Red, right? The forces mm-hmm. of the Red. Um, and so, yeah, this is the ambush. Jack Andalino, Andalini, old double ugly. Last we saw him, he was being uh, eaten on the Western Shore, but this is 10 years before that. Uh, and so uh, there is a full-scale gun battle in and around this general store slash gas, sta- gas station. You know, it, it's a real compliment to, I, I guess, I mean, it, it, that's how you know when someone really ins- like respects you is when they send like 15 guys with automatic <laughs> weapons to kill you. Like you're two dudes. <laughs> yeah, you got to be sure. And just- I don't think they had time in the moment to feel to feel grateful or to feel flattered. <laughs> um, you know, Eddie says like, "Oh, this is way more. This is way more people than uh, Balazar ever had uh, ever had access to. He must have like just put out a dragnet, essentially. Any mm-hmm. anybody with a gun that they could get. <laughs> and even then, the only the, the the only two people they managed to kill are these poor unfortunate women." Just trying to buy some milk and bread. Yeah, no, they didn't expect to get plugged in the chest and then get the top of their head shot off. Yeah. And then do a couple of lazy pirouettes before they hit the floor. <laughs> you know, this was kind of a near a near thing, though. When they go through the door, like, it's just instinct alone that, that has Roland ready to go with his gun. Yeah, he he immediately. So the the only thing that tipped him off was the uh, the flash of a scope, which you know I don't know if I if I understand optics that well. I think means that the scope is pointed right at your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and Roland, you know, not only does he have the instincts to fight for himself, he has to uh, he has to bring an incoherent Eddie whose face is covered in blood basically back to consciousness so they so he doesn't get capped yeah that wasn't an easy passage through the door eddie eddie whacked his head pretty well <laughs> but still that associative mind that uh that eddie has uh he's ready to make these jokes you know he he, he tries to call what's happening the charge of the light brigade but yeah. it comes out as shard light brigade <laughs> I can't remember how to talk, but I will never forget the face of my father. No, I will, I will never forget to make references that nobody will understand. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the two women are shot and there are two, uh, two, two, two men who end up uh, helping with the defense. We got we got good old Chip who owns the shop. Uh, mm-hmm. We have John Cullum who ends up being, I mean, like, what what is... Uh, what does Roland call him? Dan Titi or something like that? Little yeah, Savior? Yeah, Dan, Dan Tet or something. But I mean, well met, John Cullum. <laughs> he he is on it. I think uh, I think Roland even says like generally everybody, including Chip, has that um, kind of cud chewing look, like sheep or what have you. But John Cullum doesn't. And he is immediately game, and he is immediately like these people seem to know what they're doing, so I'm going to help out. Yeah, whatever I have to burn down, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, let's fill this place with diesel. <laughs> and this is just a just a big battle. Like I don't have the whole um kind of choreography written down, but there's screaming back and forth. Um you hear uh and you hear Andalini, you know, yelling like more men, more men, get around, all this kind of stuff as, you know, they head out back and start filling the building with with gasoline. <laughs> 
It's um, it, it's interesting. There's a, a really, really nice moment in here where Roland kind of remembers, like for a second, he thinks that he's back with his old, you know, like Eddie becomes um, Cuthbert or Cuthbert. Like, I mean, it's... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stephen King's good at these action scenes. He is, yeah. I, th- I think it's. I think it's when Eddie comes to when he realizes, like, oh yeah, he's he's, he's Cuthbert in the flesh again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Th- there's a negative side to that too, though, because this reminds Roland a little bit too much of the battle at Jericho Hill. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Whereas Eddie, you know, thinks it's oh, this is like the Leaning Tower fight. Um. You know, right down to the detail of old tricks postino with his wonderful rambo machine <laughs> yeah oh, oh. Yep. and um it, it kind of scales up from there like we start with you know like uh, a gun battle and then all of a sudden there's like a logging truck that just just flips over on its side into the store yep no it just it, it, it jackknifes and flings its uh flings its load all over the place and uh it crushes tricks postino's head so, uh, that, that, that's a shame again, because they're, they're playing for keeps here in the Keystone earth. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> there was one line in here, which I wouldn't have noticed if I hadn't read the book, um, a couple of months ago. And mm-hmm. I, I guess that's what made it stick out to me, but there's a, a line in there with like the, the lumber truck when it flips over, um, it's like watching one of the lost beasts of Eld come tumbling out of the sky with its wings on fire. Mm. And, and I hadn't, there's a, a, a book called the forgotten beasts of Eld, um, by Patricia McKillop. And it's, I mean, it's a great book, like solid fantasy all the way through. Mm. And you know, there, there's dragons and wyverns and, and monsters and things. But, um, I, I had forgotten that Eld was such a big thing. I mean, there's a horn that we'll see later or a horn that Roland lost when he was a, a young guy, like, yeah. uh, um, the magic tales of the eld was the book uh, that we saw in um i guess 4.5 um went through the keyhole yeah. when Roland's mom was reading to him but mm-hmm. um it's just a nice 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 little 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 reference and i mean it had to be deliberate because you wouldn't say the lost beast of eld if you weren't kind of referencing the forgotten beast of eld probably not yeah yeah yeah, I, I'd be I'd be curious. Um, I mean, you, you recommended a book uh, or a, a book and television show before the before the episode recording began, and now there's this. I had no idea that was a reference to something. Yeah, yeah, no, it's um, and and again, it's straight. It's a fun little little fantasy book, but yeah. I had never noticed that before, just because um, every now and then I'm a little weak on some of some of my classics. Hmm. <laughs> Nice. Uh, that's a good imagery too. Falling with, uh, with, with, with its wings on fire. Um, yeah. When, when I read that, I thought it was just talking about the, uh, the guardians, right. Of, of, mm-hmm. of the beam. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently the, um, I believe that the, the, the drag, like, I mean, the, the eld is, um, I mean, that's what the way of the gun is, right? Like that's what Roland trained in when he was young. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, our, our, Arthur eld, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's, the, it's the line of eld. So, uh, goes back and it was kind of uh, kind of woven in. I think. Hmm. Didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're learning facts all over the place here. Yes. You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but even with that, we even with all of that escalation with uh, with the, the the truck coming in with its wings on fire, uh, really the only injury is suffered aside for again from those poor women. Um, is uh, uh, Eddie takes two hits. He takes two shots. His arm is a through and through in his leg. 
uh, stops a bullet, uh, grazes his shin bone. That'll come back later because uh, we're going to need to start keeping an eye out for cliche because that ends up being kind of just a, a meta <laughs> just 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 a meta neon arrow pointing at things that the characters <laughs> themselves are going to start noticing. <laughs> yeah. Um and this turns into um this turns into dialogue not only because Eddie knows <laughs> these people's business from a decade in the future but I mean Eddie just recently had um you know sent Balazar's men off when they were shaking down tower, right? Mm-hmm. So George Biondi recognizes him uh, and Roland leans into this. And again, I love any time Eddie with his particular talents is sent forward to uh, use those talents. <laughs> Roland knows we need to fill this place up with gas. It's going to take a little bit of time. Eddie, can you stall them with your everlasting mouth? <laughs> <laughs> uh. There's the there's a great little track back moment in here where Eddie's remembering because, you know, he's going back and forth with with Andalini and um, he he remembers in his head what his his wife um, as Detta Walker sometimes said about I won't come in your mouth or get any in your hair, which makes me wonder how often she says that. Like, is that just like, you know, like. anytime she she's like gets publishers clearinghouse like um envelope in the mail and she's like well how many (laughs) how many occasions did she have to get skeptical yeah Yeah. that that, that prize man is not going to come in your mouth or get any in your hair (laughs) (laughs) like i mean it's if eddie's remembering it while his wife is gone it it has to come up all the time i think so yeah for it to be in just a a, endearing you know like (laughs) later on he's you know uh eddie says oh i didn't i didn't uh go to more house or no house um and eddie even is calling people sugar and whatnot uh, yeah. so I mean, to be put up with those, yeah, she had to been saying that all the time <laughs> to which I have to say, Susanna, you nasty. <laughs> oh, or, or, or Detta. Uh, yes. Yeah. But we knew that we knew that. Yeah. Uh, so they light the, they light the store on fire and this creates enough room for them to, uh, escape down to the lake with John. Uh, Chip is there to watch his, to watch his world lay in ruin. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, but John Collum, he lives across the lake and he has, uh, he, he, he rides over on his little boat to get lunch and get groceries and what have you again, making this sound like the most wonderful existence possible. Um, and Roland has an epiphany that Eddie has a little bit later, just about the way this particular when and where feels to them. And we should talk about this notion and I want to hear your opinion on it. But they have come into Keystone Earth. They've been here before. Any reality where they see the rose, um, or where the uh, where the uh, vacant lot has the rose, um, is Keystone Earth, where time flows only in one direction. You can hop into it at certain points, uh, but you can never go back and redo things. Uh, mm-hmm. This is the one that is closest to the real tower, and everything here is for keeps. Roland even notices that they're on the path of the beam. Um, Eddie, because of his particular, you know, version of the touch calls this Keystone Earth. And that is the, uh, the preferred terminology going forward. 
I, you know, this is one of those things that I just kind of accept and don't think too hard about. Yeah. Like the la- the last time I understood how time worked in this universe was back in book three when Roland got out that charred stick and drew on the ground to show how his mind was split around you know, <laughs> Jake being dead and alive at the same time. Like that was the yeah. last time anything made sense to me when it, it comes to the flow of time it seems like a um like a little bit of a hail mary pass because one of the problems in a story that has multiple that that incorporates multiple realities is well if you can just jump to any other reality does this do any of them matter right like yeah. oh you know you can pull a you know a Rick and morty where okay, we can only do this like two or three more times, but we just go to a new universe, kill the versions of us who are there. Yeah. How, many, how many Eddies are buried in the backyard? <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> um, the, the idea of a Keystone Earth. Um, and it feels like a little bit of track has been laid for this by establishing that the rose itself is precious. Um, but even still, this does seem like a Hail Mary to reintroduce stakes to you know a story where there are other worlds than these. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry, my my cat thinks it's snack time, but it's not snack time. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it though? Isn't it always? It's always snack, snack time. time. Yeah. In in a certain maybe in this key world it's not <laughs> snack time, but certainly there's a world where it's snack time. Yeah, yeah. Any any world where I'm standing in the kitchen, it's snack time. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah. Uh, again, whoa. Yeah. No. Yeah. Now. So I I don't know if I'm going to keep that in. She is now hunting a bottle cap that is on the floor. <laughs> Those epiphanies aside, uh, they finally introduce themselves, Roland and Eddie, to John Cullum again. Um, solid bro, Mr. Cullum. He's a caretaker, um, and he's got this cottage, and he wears a flannel shirt even though it's summertime. Mm-hmm. My favorite moment when they go into the cottage is there's a framed certificate of thanks from the East Stone and Volunteer Fire Department. And he's he's probably not getting another one after that diesel fire, huh? Probably not. No, I think maybe he he burned through all of his favors. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the Volunteer Fire Department is going to roll up and be like, uh, John, we, we need that certificate back. <laughs> you you burned down a gas station. You, you've disgraced their, You've disgraced the certificate, John. <laughs> yeah, they tear it up in front of him. <laughs> hand over your badge and hose yeah um yeah um but um roland's nervous because they're out on the water they're exposed uh basically every uh bit of exposure is more danger uh by ta- by kind of taking them in john Cullum has exposed himself to more danger um and eddie while you know while they're talking has this vision of Susanna and the dogan um, you know, where she tries to reach out and talk to him, there's going to be a little bit of that crosstalk, uh, between the two, uh, between the two people in the two worlds and times and whatnot. Um, and then John asks, Hey, are you walk-ins? Which has got to just be a mind blower. Like wh- what? <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so I know that we're strange, uh, because we are not from, we're kind of not from, no, we're not from here. but are there others like oh yeah we're straight up x-files around these parts we've got we've got slow mutants we have low men who are appearing we have people who come speaking languages that no um that that no that no uh professor can understand 
You, you know, this is kind of a mixed bag of a day because first you get the flattery of having 25 like dudes try to come kill two guys. Yeah. And then you find out like, you know, like Callahan, he seemed special. Like he started mm-hmm. moving between worlds after this mystic vampire experience. They had to do all this work to get the doors. But finding out that just randos can swan into Maine whenever they want with like no <laughs> destiny has to be like hurtful. Yeah, uh, including literal randos. Rando thoughtful probably jaunted around. Yeah, yeah. I, bet, I bet Bango Skank has crossed over a time or two. Oh, absolutely, Bango Skank's everywhere. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's it's uh, flying in the air is not special, and neither is dimension hopping. <laughs> and I I love I love John Collins. Both glee and just gameness for like, oh gosh, you guys are walk-ins. This rules. Yeah. And, I mean, we should say like John Cullum, he's like in his sixties or something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's in his sixties. He speaks basically in the cat in the Cala Patois because the Cala the Cala talk is just northern Maine. It is just a down north accent. Did did you see that line in there where he said that he had worked at the Maine State Prison for like 10 years? Yeah, and Eddie didn't believe him. I, I couldn't figure out what that was a reference to. It's been so long since I read The Green Mile. I mean, is there a cousin or a twin or something? I mean, I would have remembered a nice guy in The Shawshank Redemption, but... um yeah. I mean, because, it, it, I mean, in this universe, that is an alternate name for the main state prison is Shawshank. Um, I mean, it, ha- it had to be Shawshank. Uh, maybe. I don't remember. I don't remember if Shawshank ever had an alternate an alternate name. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, they say each state has its own industry and apparently prison's big business. So I'm sure everybody worked for Shawshank at some point. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah. I, I heard I heard that and, and I had to. And but, you know, before before I sat down to make the notes, I actually like I went back. I was like, you mentioned a prison. It has to be Shawshank, right? Yeah. The, yeah. the two big industries in Maine are apparently the lighthouses and um, <laughs> <laughs> corrections. Light, lighthouses, boathouses and hard time. <laughs> yeah. Huh. And I'm looking at, sorry, I, I pulled up the, uh, the Wikipedia entry for um, the Green Mile. Apparently Shaq was considered to play the role of John Coffey. Oh, wow. That would be a very different movie. <laughs> Yeah. All I can picture is him in like the, the Shazam costume or not Shazam, the Kazam, like the, the genie costume. Yeah. Huh? No, I, I'm, I'm not finding any, uh, I'm not finding any, any corroboration. Um, and also, um, um, Colum mentions a friend from Vermont, but I have no idea if he's talking about, um, if he's talking about anybody who features in, ah, man, um, insomnia. Because I think there's a there's a Vermont connection with uh, with the Deep Now character there. You you think Stephen King's just messing with us at this point? Maybe. <laughs> like I, like I went, you know. Usually the the Dark Tower wiki, um, if not in the main body of the uh, of 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 the uh, article, at least in the talk section, like there are actually people who propose these hypotheticals. There's yeah. there's nothing that connects to either Shawshank, the Green Mile, or Insomnia in that. Uh, but Eddie makes such a big deal about like the Vermont story not adding up, or maybe Cullum possibly spending time or doing time. Um, it feels like it would be a, uh, it feels like it would be a reference or, or tie into something. But I can't find anything that does. 
You know, um, I, it probably is really just um, Mr. King messing with us. Because, like, at the end of the sections that we're reading today, like, stanza 10 has, like, 19 chapters. And I was like, huh? And I'm like, <laughs> wait, it's just, I mean, at a certain point, it's just, you know, all of them have 12 to, like, 20 chapters. I mean, we were going to land on 19. Right, right. No, he, he, he's, uh, just, he's just going to just stand back and watch us dance. Yeah. Oh, taking us into stanza 8, A Game of Toss. Um, which takes place entirely in John Cullum's house. I got to say, I am extremely jealous of Cullum's house by the description, not necessarily of the baseball vibe, but just of the general bachelor hobbit hole kind of vibe to it. It sounds like it would be incredibly cozy. And that is what I aspire for my house to be. (laughs) (laughs) I um I I love how into the um Hobbit Eddie is in this whole stanza. It like, is so good. <laughs> he talks about like sitting in his living room, like shooting up heroin, and mm-hmm. like and listening, listening to the audio books. And I'm like, that actually kind of sounds like a great day. <laughs> I mean, I've never used heroin, and I haven't yeah. heard the Hobbit audio books, but I mean that. It kind of sounds like a good time. Yeah. Um. I well, what sounds less like a good time is uh is 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 Henry, um when he's you know when he wasn't uh out with his, with his girlfriend who sounds who sounds not that not that great. Um. Oof. But neither neither was Henry. Henry was given uh, g- given Eddie the business uh for like and all that made up stuff when apparently Henry had uh I don't know, he, was, he was a junkie he had the time to watch all this stuff he had the time to watch five or six different soap operas every day <laughs> as the world turns guiding light yeah. you know general hospital basically any of the CBS Procter and Gamble ones you know wow yeah oh oh henry you're, it's a shame that eddie respects you so much because you're not cool <laughs> there are there are a couple of stories this is one of them there, there's another story that comes later which is like yeah henry really wants a dipshit <laughs> oh these computer things are just a fad <laughs> lemons lemons come on um <laughs> but eddie's over the moon at all of this baseball memorabilia um and they eventually get into like a no spoilers policy over how the red Sox do i I can't even imagine it if you were a big baseball fan wouldn't it make you enjoy the season more knowing the outcome from a time traveler i don't that may i don't know i don't know Uh, i i would think uh what's the line for make wood like knowing the uh knowing the punchline takes the uh takes the fun out of the joke something like that that's fair yeah yeah, I don't know. Uh, who knows? Maybe, maybe there would still be drama. Maybe you, maybe you wouldn't believe the interlopers carrying big mythical guns. Yeah, well, and I guess it depends on whether sports gambling is legal at the time, right? Mm. Maybe, maybe you'd have more of a vested interest in knowing that. Yeah, yeah. Um, just, uh, just ask uh, what's his name from eleven twenty two sixty three. How all that works out? Yeah, seriously, huh? Yeah. Oh man, that's a good book. Um. Anyway, though. Yeah. Uh, so they start talking about all this stuff by passing around. I forget if they're passing around the signed Babe Ruth baseball or not. Yeah. yeah. This guy's got some memorabilia. He's got the good stuff. Yes, he does. But he makes a point. Uh, he has no interest in anything signed by a Yankee. This is from when the Babe was a Red Sox. <laughs> yeah. I think that's how you say that. He was a Red Sox. I don't know. 
Um, and maybe Eddie doesn't know because um, <laughs> Eddie starts munching on some Perkadan. Yeah. Stephen King's very into dry chewing painkillers. That's a thing. Yeah. It comes up in a lot of books. I mean, I, Shining's obviously the most memorable one, but I think that we've seen people chew up aspirin in some other books too. Maybe The Stand, like I think um, maybe Nick like dry chews some aspirin or something, but my dude loves to munch on some pills, huh? Yeah. I, I don't, have you ever done that? Because the no. taste, the taste does, the taste never goes away. Oh, I can barely do a chewable Pepto-Bismol and those are like at least a pleasant flavor. Yeah, those are <laughs> those are made for that. Yeah, yeah no, he 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 just he 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 gobbles up a Perkadan like he's Pac-Man and it's a power pellet. It's uh <laughs> And while Eddie gets high, Roland's over here saying, what's this filter shit? This is he says this isn't smoke, this is just murky air. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Rolling, not into the Marlboro Lights. No, no, he needs the he needs the Cowboy Killers. God, thank goodness the guy didn't have like a Benson and Hedges one hundred or something. You know, one of the real skinny like oh, yeah. lollipop stick size ones. <laughs> Virginia Slim. Yeah, You're like, are you kidding me? I'm sorry, you'll have to use the guest cigarette holder, <laughs> yes. Mr. Thompson. Yes. Oh. So. Oh, oh, it is man. a charming little scene, though. Like the, they like rip the filter off for him, and then mm -hmm. Roland's like, "Ah, now I see what. Yeah. Okay, this is working." Yeah, he, he goes to put the non-filtered end into his mouth, uh, thinking that's the, the, the that's the business end. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> just just funny. Um, <laughs> uh, but they start passing this uh, this ball back and forth, and I mean, this is really just a, just again more play setting than anything. Uh, it's just to establish that uh, it wasn't just Callahan's uh, read on the situation. That tower was definitely running around, basically saying, "Come kill me." God. Yeah. Even even without having like seen him yet, like we we haven't seen him, <laughs> I already want to punch him in the face. It's just uh, the the only thing that, like the, the what came to mind it for me is that Calvin Tower and we've known this but it's really hammered home here. Uh, Calvin Tower is in the classic sense a real piece of work. <laughs> yeah, um, so irritating, and it's um, I, I'm really happy that they decided that King decided to draw the parallel between Eddie's fixation, uh, former fixation on drugs and towers fixation on, on books and holding on to things, you know, again, it, it does make you appreciate how irritated Roland must've been with Eddie at for, <laughs> I mean, Ro Roland clearly calls it out. He's like, yeah, you remember when you were a junkie and we were on the beach? <laughs> Welcome to the club. <laughs> if, if I could have not killed you, then you need to not kill Calvin. please. Yeah. Data chalk, data chum, Eddie. This is how it is. Sometimes it'd be like them on this bitch of a midworld. Oh, data chalk, data chun. Please, Eddie, don't draw your gun. <laughs> yeah. Um so uh Calvin's back on his on his shit. Uh even more so than we would than we know. Um and before they decide to okay, break and go go meet up with Calvin and Aaron and tell them tell him to not be on his shit, Eddie, um, asks uh john about stephen king um and stephen king is real in this world he lives a couple of towns over 
And the walk-ins started around the time that King moved in. And in fact, the activity seems to be centered on where he lives, um, on Turtleback Lane. You know, that's what happens when a celebrity moves into the areas. All of a sudden, people start coming into town. This is just the the paparazzi, the (laughs) mid-world paparazzi trying to get a shot of the big spider cast iron gate, you know? <laughs> yep. Just r- r- rolling in with their, uh, with their flashing, with their flashing, uh, little, uh, uh what does Mia call them? Like soul boxes. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure in real life, in our world, the beam of the rat, mm-hmm. um, Stephen King definitely gets walk-ins in his town all the time. Maybe leave him alone. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> Don't bother Mr. King. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's one of our nation's treasures like um brandon sanderson like these prolific writers they're, mm-hmm. they're 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 national treasures and we need to protect them yeah they're a resource yeah, yeah. Uh, like pro- i need i hope Kate blanchett drives really carefully and always has security she's a treasure and we that, need to protect her that's the thing uh, Kate blanchett and stephen king cannot be on the same plane together <laughs> exactly keep tilda swinton out of there too <laughs> yep yeah um and they all know the recipe the original recipe for coke for (laughs) coca-cola um taking us to stanza nine eddie bites his tongue and boy does he eddie needs to face down and defeat his most devilish enemy yet the desire to murder calvin tower i was about to say in cold blood um in the most rightfully hot blood that has probably existed in this series yeah, like it it wouldn't have been a good thing for him to do, but I would have understood it. Yeah, it would have been it would have been motivated. <laughs> I, he could have shot him in the leg. Yeah, just kneecap him, you know. Yeah. And then in that way, whenever whenever the barometric pressure drops and he feels an ache, he'll think of you know he'll think of Eddie, and he will just try to he'll try to be a little bit less of a dipshit. Yeah, I feel like like Calvin Tower would spend a lot of time in that whatever that Reddit forum is, like the "Am I the asshole here?" forum, <laughs> yep. and everyone would be like, "Yes." I mean, even his own friend, like Aaron um, Deepno, is like, "Yep, you, yep, you did that. You screwed up." Yeah, like, no. What just... about the hundred thousand dollars in this? I mean, he just roasts them at every opportunity. <laughs> well, he and he also like undercuts him, like when he uh, when he says like, "Oh, it's all it's all the things that I own." Well, what and then Aaron says, well, what about those two storage lockers full of books? <laughs> yeah. and, even, and even down to like at one point, Aaron in this chapter says like, hey, hey, Cal, I think they're giving you a chance to live a life that has meaning. So you need to you, you maybe need to get off your shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so oh. we, we should talk about this. Um, of course. Um, Calvin and Aaron, they have rented cabin 19 at Jafford's rentals. Eddie notices this and he almost mentions it to, to, to Roland, but of course, Roland noticed it. Uh, coincidence has been canceled. Sugar. Yeah. <laughs> Calvin's away. The, um, the cabin is empty, but, uh, <laughs> under the advice from Callahan, again, Callahan wrote that little letter to go someplace else. They decided to just go down and live in the boathouse, probably 30 yards from where the cabin is. <laughs> it, it's, it's a very modern thing. Like I, I can, I can maybe empathize a little bit with, with, with our, our friend Calvin tower here. Cause you know, like, yeah, there was a big shootout and you were involved. It was kind of surreal, but the mind, you know, it's hard to sustain a level of terror for longer than, 
you know like you 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 lose a center right right and so you're like you know nothing's happened for three days i'm sure everything's fine yeah and hey, they're, they're, you start to rationalize. And and who who gets hurt if I go and look for some bucks? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that Callahan guy might have risked his life. Um, I would have been shot and tortured by by Andalini and his men. But mm-hmm. that was last week. Yeah, he 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 is both complacent and obsessed—a dangerous combination. Yeah, and he's on his his dream vacation. He's in Maine with a bunch of rubes that have first edition <laughs> books. Yep. He's he's going to clean them out uh, one by one, and they're not even the book club editions like he thought they would be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they kill some time waiting for Calvin to come back, and Eddie is in bliss before it was the the coffee creamer uh, back at the uh, restaurant of the mind. This time it's the strawberries dipped in sugar. It's you know been forever since he's had anything that sweet. And uh, that pairs well with the bitterness of what Aaron has to say. Uh, not only is Calvin out doing his please come kill me uh, behavior, but Calvin has decided I'm not going to sell them the land after all. He's a welcher. Maybe they used magic. Maybe they hypnotized me. Um, I was definitely under duress. Yeah, no, I'm just, I'm going to do what I've always done, which is hoard. And Aaron has like doozies of stories talking about like passing over a $70,000 deal by, by, by not selling a, a first edition. No, he, he sold the first edition signed uh, Moby Dick, but he couldn't sleep for a week. <laughs> it, I, I have to, to think, this scene in particular, especially once um, a little bit later we start talking about a, a Stephen King book with a misprint that's worth a certain amount of money, mm-hmm. it, it kind of seems to me like Stephen King doesn't have a ton of respect for book collectors. Uh, given that he made um, the, the only book collector in all of his body of work, um, uh, he, he made that character a dipshit like this? Yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, read between the lines, Stephen King would probably much more appreciate that I have, like, two shitty beaten up paperbacks of The Stand, plus the Kindle edition, Mm -hmm. plus some random EPUB with bad formatting. (laughs) Like, it seems like he would respect that more than me, like, rolling up to sign up. Like, he'd probably rather sign your grocery store, like, 1990s version Mm -hmm. than, look, I bought a first edition on eBay. Would you sign it, sir, to increase the value? Yeah. Like, it it seems like he, he... you would think I was a joke. <laughs> For sure. Uh, you know, d- d- judging the man from afar, or at least basing my opinion on things that I've seen, doesn't seem to necessarily appreciate, uh, uh, let's let, let's let's say, for lack of a better word, pretension like that. You know, books meant to yeah. be read, books meant to be shared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That doesn't seem as as highfalutin <laughs> as, uh, as, you know, a, a $900 copy of his second book. <laughs> He addresses constant reader, not constant hoarder. Yep, exactly. Crack the um, spine. <laughs> I don't think Calvin is, has even read Salem's Lot based on the conversation either. So he's, you know a, that, he's a fake fan. Right. He, he never talks. He never talks about the plot or nope. any of the. Oh. Yeah, like he, he he knows just enough. So the reason the the, the reason the copy of Salem's Lot is worth uh, that much money, Calvin describes again, because you know, <laughs> in the middle of all this, he has to talk about his obsession, um, is because it's an initial first run that was only distributed in the Northeast. Um, additionally, uh, the name of the town priest is incorrect on the inside, 
Um, he says like, oh, it's the name of the town doctor, not actually the, the town priest. So I think that he only knows that it's wrong. He doesn't know that he received um, a very scathing letter from a character in a book that he sells. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're blowing my mind right now. <laughs> and he only... <laughs> He should have recognized Callahan if he owns the book. Uh-huh. It's a weird it's a weird priest with the same like cross carved on his forehead that happened in a book. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh <laughs> and, and when he talks about it, he's saying like, yeah, it's you know, it it, it it might be worth more. There's an element of speculation because at this point King is about 30 years old. He's only put out two books, one of which was made into a movie by the time the story takes place. Um, you know, I'm going to hold on to this because who knows, he may become big someday and this might be, you know, it might triple in value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's a speculator. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can't believe he hasn't read the books. That didn't even occur to me. Like <laughs> I, I, I couldn't not read the books. So, I, I mean, I, I just, it didn't even occur to me. I can spot a fake fan. I know you, I know you're, no, I, I'm not going to gatekeep. Oh, wow. Calvin has bigger, has bigger concerns. Now I'm more mad at Calvin. I, I hope Eddie <laughs> shoots him. I know he doesn't, but I hope he shoots him. Salem's Lot's a good book. Um, <laughs> Eddie goes to such great lengths. Like even, even before Calvin gets there, like he's biting onto the sides of his tongue, like blood is pulling in his mouth. He's digging his fingernails into his palm because a junkie knows a junkie. Eddie, Eddie missed a key phase of gunslinger training that Roland got when he was younger. You know, like Eddie hasn't had to learn patience. Everything's just been happening, happening, happening. Like he didn't come up with court, like, no, probably having to sit holding buckets out straight with like both arms for like a day, you you know, like Mm -hmm. it's been all, all thriller, no filler in Eddie's (laughs) gunslinger experience. Oh, geez. Yeah. So Eddie has to has to sit here and take this. And like like Calvin's attitude toward the land makes make, makes a little bit of sense. You know, as much as I am dragging Calvin uh, for his uh, fucked up priorities, you know, valuing these books over over everything else, you can kind of see like there's a little bit of like familiar, like a, fam- a, a familial curse because you know his entire line the Torin line has been the custodians you know of this land to sit on it and watch it and treasure it and covet it against the forces who might seek to do wrong like you can see you can see that he is like transferring or projecting his <laughs> his, his his coveting of the land onto the books themselves you 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 got to stop playing with my emotions like this. First, I realized what a big p- bigger piece of shit he was than I thought with the, <laughs> the not reading the books. And now I'm like, but this burden was passed on to him. It was a hereditary burden. It's a familial curse. And now I'm like, oh, poor guy. Ooh, a, a reason's not a justification and a justification is not an excuse. Okay, we're back to neutral. <laughs> there we go. Thank, thank you. <laughs> Hello, comfort zone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So Calvin gets here and he's like, oh, I hope somebody's fi- uh, fire insurance is all paid up. Ha ha ha. And Eddie just opens up and Roland doesn't stop him. And Aaron doesn't stop him. And like Eddie, like he gets into this fire and brimstone mo- mode saying, hey, you're sitting down for a bitter meal. <laughs> that he makes a couple of little illusions like that. Like the what 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 poem is that? Um where the guy's eating his heart and he likes it because it's bitter, but because it's his own. It's some poem that Stephen King has quoted before. I don't um know. but 
there's there's another line where he's like um you and jack are just a couple of ragged cockroaches scuttling across the floor of the universe which has to be a love song of j alfred proof like ragged claws on yeah the, yeah i mean <sighs> stephen king has cracked open and read the books yes yeah um yeah i did i didn't catch the uh the bitter mill reference but i would uh i want to go take uh, look that up now and i did notice the scu- the, the, the scuttling across the across the floor mm-hmm. yeah regardless though <laughs> like eddie he lays out um a very harsh portrait of calvin tower's behavior behavior saying how can you go back on this don't you understand what's going on and finally roland says you you got that all right, you're, 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 <laughs> have you worked this all out, Eddie? Uh, and steps in and says, all right, we need to get to brass tacks. And they start talking business. Uh, specifically, Calvin knows Roland's father's name. He knows Roland's grandfather's name. Uh, he even knows, um, he, doesn't, he doesn't know that Roland's grandfather had red hair, but he seems to know that Roland's grandfather went to Garland to slay a dragon, but the dragon was already felled by the time he got, he got there, and the land was ruled by a king who was killed by tre- through tre- treachery. And that that's something that we all know yeah. as Radio Free Midworld listeners. We mm-hmm. know exactly what book they're talking about there. Eyes of the Dragon. Mm-hmm. No yeah. mysteries. <laughs> I just love that. I, I I love that they worked it back in. Yeah. I'm a fan and I love to be serviced. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'm here. Um, you know my number, Steve. You know it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then they start talking in the high speech, what has to be the high speech, what is described as, you know, a distant cousin of English. And they say, all right, we're going to go out back and we're going to work out a deal. Um, and by the time tower comes back in, he's agreed to sell. So, Nailed it. So it was a little bit good, uh, good, good cop and dimensional interloper. Uh, and, and, and Aaron in the background saying, shut up, Calvin. <laughs> listen to the guy this is your intervention yeah boom roasted yeah uh we're gonna trap him bust him <laughs> yeah <laughs> so aaron starts drawing up the contract i just love this little detail it's on a it's on a uh, little notepad with the picture of a beaver on each page saying damn important things to do <sighs> 70s main rules <laughs> Somebody's got one of those weird yarn owls on the I, wall. I'm I was sure. going to mention macrame owls on them. <laughs> you were not. <laughs> I was. I was going to say how much macrame owl is going on in this room. It's a rental oh. cottage. It's cheap. It's cheap decoration. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 70s. Uh, but the deal is done. Um, and they tie up a couple of other loose ends. Remember, in Callahan's tale, he was rescued by uh by by people who match the descriptions of you know deep now and 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 tower they confirm this by mentioning this yiddish saying that callahan had heard and like okay yeah so you need to be at this place at this time and be ready to be ready to shoot a gun if you can Mm -hmm. um and at least it is good news because at this point at this point, Aaron, he's he's just recovering from his cancer diagnosis or something like that. He expects not to live. And like, hey, you got you got some you got some miles on those tires. You're good. <laughs> yeah, I, I have it on pretty good authority. You're going to you're going to live about at least five more years, bro. Yes. Um, and I do not want to accept any of your Percocet, please. 
Yeah, that was very, very responsible of Eddie. Like, I mean, it was a perfect Drake meme. Like, you know, he's got the no hand for Percocets. And then, like, you know, the guy holds out some Aston, I assume, <laughs> to be followed by a Tudor fish sandwich. And um, <laughs> Drake Eddie's like, yes. I, I love Roland's reverence when Aston is brought up. Like, <laughs> like yeah. Uh. He- you know, I'm surprised they didn't trot out any Keflex. I mean, that mm. saved Roland's life. Yeah. Just, but just but Roland's high regard, like, oh, yes, the bomb of Gilead. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. I love that Roland doesn't know how much stronger the Percocets were. And he's like, oh, yeah, give the guy some Aston. Mm, that'll do it. It'll these, cure what ails you. These yeah. magic tablets. Yes. Yeah. Um. So they start patching up Eddie's wounds. I like this. So the through and through, they just put band-aids over both sides. Not just band-aids, but like Bambi band-aids. So. <laughs> they said the, these guys are looking like extreme hard cases when they roll up Um. <laughs> on the next scene, right? With their, their Bambi band-aids. Yep. Um, and as they're talking, um, Aaron corrects Eddie's past. Um, and this is uh, something that I think King is, uh, doing kind of owning up to his own misunderstandings of New York geography, uh, because Eddie, as we know, he grew up in co-op city and he is a broken boy through and through, even though co-op city is a neighborhood in the Bronx. Um, and there's even a time later when I think, uh, I think Susanna is talking about like, oh, you got pushed, you got pushed at the station. Uh, when the A train came through and cut off your cut off your legs, and and the person that she's talking to, kind of in her vision, says, "Oh, the A train doesn't go to that station." Um, all of these are little telltale signs of different of the different versions of Earth. So, yes, so we're going to roll up to that Takuro Spirit dealership and buy a new ride. Pretty much, <laughs> and this causes. I mean, so Eddie uh, he has the sense of intense derealization, and when he says, "Well, my, my life is predicated on a mistake that would have been written out of a second edition," like he 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 has Callahan's same violent reaction to like no my life isn't a fucking story. Mhm. Yeah. Uh, w- one thing that I kind of like too when they're getting Calvin to agree to it. Mm-hmm. Um you know we obviously we know our Kata and we know that they're good guys. They're on their way to if not save the tower at least look at it. Yeah. You, you know. But um when Calvin's losing it after he signed over the 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 a lot with the rose and he's like i'm give me my dollar you know like <laughs> he must feel like he's he's really being had like yeah. this is like a deal with the devil he's giving away his family thing in exchange for a dollar like i love that he's having his own melodrama that mm-hmm. the reader and the other characters in the story are not like <laughs> he's got his own little head story going where poor calvin and um <laughs> everyone else is like okay here's your dollar later skater he's, he's... <laughs> Later, he's kind of being a baby about it too. He says, "Well, give me my dollar, and I'll need something to wipe my ass with." Yeah, like yeah. He, he's just having this experience that no one else is. Like otherwise, <laughs> the, the law firm of Deshane Dean Dean Chambers and Oy is just <laughs> a regular legal day. Yep, yeah, those those bastards at the Tet Corporation—they rooked me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so. Um, more fiction, uh, in reality, when Roland is going to remove the bullet from Eddie's leg, not only, not only does he realize, oh, this is a cliche, 
we're living in this. Like, you know, mm-hmm. the, 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 obviously the dramatic drums came earlier when we, when we were in LUD, now's the time for me to bite on the, bite on the bullet or bite on the, <laughs> bite on the, 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 the stick or the, or the belt or whatever it is and have the, have the bullet removed from my leg. Eddie dropped <laughs> some, dropped some trivia. Uh, not only was their situation in uh, Calibre and Sturgis just like the Magnificent Seven, but the Magnificent Seven was directed by one John Sturgis. So, yeah. <laughs> Authors have too much power. Yes, they do. And again, all of this is evidence. These are these are neon arrows pointing at the artificial nature of the situations that they've been in. I love that we literally went to Oz and I still feel like this is a revelation. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, it's <laughs> it's being revealed to the characters. Which yeah. I, which I think makes it makes it land and feel feel even more real, especially as they as they get closer to the author of their uh, of of their woe, right? Yep. Yeah. Um this causes the topic of Stephen King to come up and, you know, Tower can geek out over this one particular misprint while while missing the point that Drew that Salem's Law is a good book and you should have read it. <laughs> yeah. And Roland says, All right, everybody, you need to get the fuck out. <laughs> uh and even though Calvin bristles, Eddie decides to give him a tip saying, like, hey, this company doesn't exist right now, but if you ever hear about Microsoft, buy up as much uh as much uh stock as you can. Um Casting back to, to again, the second bad memory of, of Henry, who fancied himself a stock picker, saying all those folks buying, uh, buying into this computer stuff, they're just lemons. You know, those rodents who jump off of cliffs? <laughs> the, the, the line that he says about um, Bill fucking Gates and Steve fucking Jobs Arena <laughs> really works for me. Picturing Eddie watching his days of our lives. <laughs> Yeah, I just I just love how Henry is always exactly the opposite of right. Yeah. <laughs> because there are many different ways to be wrong, but there's only one way to be exactly the opposite of right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what Henry is. Um one detail that I like. So um Eddie and Roland borrow um borrow take John Cullum's car, you know, because he has to drive drive back in his truck. The car that they take is a Ford Galaxy. First off, badass car. Second off, uh, Autumn, this is for you and anybody else who reads Akewood, uh, mm-hmm. Ford Galaxy. It's Rose Beef's car. Yep. He drives that to hell. <laughs> yep. It's the car from Peel Out Summer. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Are we, does he drive that car to hell or was it a Subaru Brat? I forget. Uh, do, do, do for a reread. Can't wait to be on, on that ongoing podcast. <laughs> this- <laughs> it make me sad because it just kind of again ended who am I to talk about things just kind of ending in the middle of something um anyway <laughs> t- 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 taking up with stanza 10 we're gonna leave behind uh Eddie and Roland for a little bit but we're gonna go uh we're gonna get back to them in the next one here let's dip back and uh peer into this psychodrama between Susanna and Mia in stanza 10, Susanna Mia, divided girl of mine. Um, and Susanna's unmoored at the beginning of this. What do you think of the uh, kind of bad news void space that she's in at the start of this? It, it's evocative. Like we're touching on just enough moments in history and wailing like Odiscordia at the same time. Like we've got 
um, the assassination of JFK. We've got, I guess, mixed in some things that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, um, I, I don't know, it, it, it's messy, but really evocative. Mm-hmm. It calls back, you know, I think in book two, uh, Susanna has a conversation with her driver about how Kennedy was the last gunslinger. Um, and you know, not only is this, I guess, Walter Cronkite talking about the assassination of Kennedy, but also, you know, the death of John, John and the death of Robert Kennedy going kind of through this line, um, Mm -hmm. under kind of underlining the, uh, um, you know, the destruction of the line of Eld, right. Mm -hmm. Um, culminating in, um, a fake news report about the death of Stephen King. (laughs) <laughs> which Suzanne doesn't necessarily have context for at this point. Spo- spoilers for a few minutes later in this paragraph, but um, it's probably a relief that JFK wasn't the last gunslinger because then he would have had to have sex with his sister Uh-oh. and birth, birth the child that would be his undoing. So yep. that was a that was a freebie that the the divided timeline that Roland um came back now. Yeah, Roland had to take that <laughs> bullet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This chapter gets weird. Um, and again, this is the canine agility course that we have to run when it could have, when it could have been so much simpler. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we should have never accepted pedigree dog food as a sponsor. Cole. Nope. We... <laughs> Damn it. They're not supposed to know about that till the end. It's supposed to be placement, not a sponsorship. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, uh, but, uh, Susanna emerges from the void and she's back in the jail cell in Oxford town. Um, and this is where Odetta is, uh, you know, Odetta has come back, um, and Odetta is still there, but she's kind of locked into this memory and ends up giving Susanna enough willpower to come back to mm-hmm. herself and to go to the Dogen where she sees Mia navigating her body, um, onto the elevator to leave the hotel. And this is where she puts in the distress call to Eddie telling, uh, to, to Eddie, uh, that he, uh, that he had on the boat. Um, and he tells her, Hey, you need to burn up time. I'm, I'm glad she was able to figure it out because I did not get that from what Eddie was saying. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's definitely, uh, the, the, the bad, uh, what the, 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 the bad drive through menu speaker. Yeah. It was like trying to record a podcast with somebody that's on a bad Wi-Fi connection. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but Mia, she's not having a good time. She is uh, completely overwhelmed by the tourists in the lobby who are asking her to take pictures of people. She worries that the camera is full of radiation. She's worried that it's going to harm the baby. Uh, she cannot stand the sound of the language that she can't understand. Um, and Susanna has to help her by guiding her to a toilet stall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and this is where Data comes back and the battle continues. Uh, Detta again is laying down some science. So this, this, this might be my favorite part in the the funniest moment for me in the whole book. Like she's explaining like psychology one hundred and one. She's trying to explain Freud to to Mia, and I got to tell you, I wish that Detta had taught me all of my freshman college courses. Yeah, like can you imagine Detta explaining the Krebs cycle or mitosis <laughs> to you? Like they got these telomeres. <laughs> Like, you you know, like ETP and ADP. Like, I I would love for Dedo to explain science to me. Like She she cuts right through. Oh, yeah. Like, forget Neil deGrasse Tyson or Bill Nye. Like, let's just get Dedo dropping some science. Yeah, literally. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, Mia's having none of it because, you know, Dedo's saying like, hey, maybe you're not remembering things correctly because you don't want to because there's a part of your mind down below that 
can overpower the part of your mind above. And of course, Mia, you know, again, <laughs> in this series of books about people with obsessions that uh, blind them and become their undoing, be it Eddie, be it Calvin, be it Roland, or be it Mia um, with her single-minded fixation on protecting her baby, she's having none of it because, mm-hmm. you know, part of protecting the baby is protecting the lie that uh, that Sayer and Walter and all these people have uh, uh, kind of sold her about uh about how how this baby is going to be delivered right yeah it doesn't it doesn't matter how much evidence mia has or how much they they tell her and like like try to reason with her mia's like mm, no I'm, I'm pretty sure this is all going really great yeah no, no i'm gonna have this baby it's gonna be good i mean they definitely but, said i could have the baby for as long as seven years possibly yeah. up to <laughs> up yeah. to seven. it could be many years is that i mean maybe not but it could be (laughs) who knows yeah but they're in this toilet stall uh bango skank has been here in fact bango skank awaits the king no bango skank we thought you were on our side yeah (laughs) Uh, but it's time for another meeting um and this time mia pulls pulls susanna through um not to the castle of lore but to FedEx itself, the castle town that surrounds it. Uh, and it's not like a medieval, you know, a medieval village full of uh, thatch roof cottages and stuff like that. No, it's like a, like a Western kind of deal. Yeah. It, it seems like exactly what um, HBO's Westworld season five is going to be. Yes. You know, <laughs> everything's just all mixed up. We're in future world. We're in Westworld. Like <laughs> we, we got Humies. We got Cybees. You can't tell the difference. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there, there's a little Andy uh, caught in a loop down on the corner advertising girls, 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 be they Humi or be they Cybees. You do not know the difference. I feel like I could tell the difference somehow between a Humi or a Cybe. Yes. I, I do feel in my heart I, I, like I would know the difference. I've seen the Cybees that North Central puts out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, the, the Cybees will be the ones that just aren't root or um, threaded or with an extra arm at this point, right? Yes, I believe so. Although for <laughs> veris- verisimilitude, there may be some slow, moody Cybees. Yeah, this is good. the nomenclature is is just baffling. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, and I, I would probably want to go Cybe. It's more hygienic, probably, probably. Right? I mean, yeah, you just throw them in an autoclave, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, yeah. our friend Gasher was not looking good. No, no, he had a lot of problems. Hygiene, yeah. hygiene yeah. was among them. Yeah, uh, but yeah, this, so the, it's this you, you know kind of mishmash um, town that is at the end of the line for Patricia. Remember Patricia being the uh, the partner to blame the mono, who was overrun by despair and threw herself off the tracks. It, this really is ominous. Like knowing what we know about Patricia and having this be the the end of Patricia's line. Like mm-hmm. it, for some reason, that kind of I thought that was a little bit scary. Yeah, it just it, it ties into the rest of the world and anything anything related to the madness of these machines. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm here. I am here for it. But they're also speaking of madness of the machines. They're by the Arc 16 experimental station, uh, the Dogen of all Dogens. This place where magic and science are melded, right? Which is also very scary. Yes, it is. I mean, yeah, we we, we have a, a nice division of labor in our world. Like <laughs> witches do witchy shit, and scientists do science shit. Like it's a nice split. And if you're going to mix the two, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, especially given what we learned last episode about the way technology was designed to not just replace magic, but to shore up the fading magic that once powered the world. <laughs> you know, like they've managed to replicate the doors, kind of, uh, in that they only go one way. In fact, that's how the wolves um, traveled so quickly. Um, is they would, they, they would go through the doors and then, uh, or they, they would, they would ride to the town, go through a door that would take them back to FedEx where the, where the, uh, the, the twins would be root. Um, and then they would send, they would send the kids back on the, uh, on the, on the train line. <sighs> yeah. Bad things happened. Um, not just with the twins, but with Mia as well. Horrible mm -hmm. things are done there. And I'm kind of like, so I was about to say, I'm kind of happy we don't see in there. I, I would like to see what goes on in there. You know, I, I'm, I'm curious. Like, it, it really it, it does show you, like, Mia's memories of it all just being red and blank. Yeah. It implies that um, it, it's not been good. Right, right. I'm, I th I'm trying to think here. There's a, there's a comic, like, one-off uh, episode um, that it's like Shimi's tale or something like that. It's what happens to Shimi after, um, after the events of, after the events of wizard and glass, I think might show the inside of that. I need to go read it to make sure. Mm. Yeah. It, but it might be another Dogen, uh, that, that, that he stumbles into. I forget. You know, speaking of, of, of comics, um, I don't know if you've, if, if you enjoy this Dogen stuff, um, have, have you ever read Doom Patrol or have you watched the series? No. Oh, my gosh. Um, it, it's uh, one of the characters, you know, has something in her head called the underground that that's mm. very similar. And it's um, it's very satisfying. And the who the whole show is wild. I mean, one of the characters is a sentient gender queer teleporting street. <laughs> OK, that rules. <laughs> And all the superheroes, oh, they're bad, messed up. <laughs> so, I mean, it's um, it's a real treat. But, yeah, every time Susanna goes to the Dogen, because I just finished watching the, the TV series. I had read the mm -hmm. comic um, years ago. But, like, it's um, whew, it's satisfying. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I had no idea. I, like, I had heard the name Doom Patrol, but I didn't know, uh, I didn't know it was like that. Oh, yeah. Just an open mouth grin the whole time I watched <laughs> um, all 13 episodes. Just, <gasps> wow. Hmm. My, my 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 reading list grows or my watch yeah, list grows exactly yeah. if you like dogans i have a treat for you <laughs> you might you might also enjoy um yeah but they're here uh to talk and this time gonna be a little bit more truthful um so just in summary here uh, like this is a lot of back and forth and there's there's times where Mia resists saying something and then, and then dead, it draws it out we can just talk about the baseline conclusions so all that stuff about Mia being an elemental no no, not the case. Mia's just another being that was left over when the prim receded. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and she was basically a succubus. She would roam the land um, and fuck men to death, uh, showing them, showing herself however she wanted to be seen, really. Um, mm -hmm. You know, as she takes delight in, you know, like right before I killed them, I would, you know, make it look like they were having sex with their own mother. Isn't that a fun treat? That that's gotta be really disappointing when the demon has his hooks in you and yeah. then or his or her hooks in you. And then all of a sudden it's, it's one of your parents. That's, um, that's rough. Ooh, <laughs> just, uh, 
The Price is Right horns. Fade to black. Yeah. Um, and she did this until she got to FedEx um, and witnessed the miracle birth of a healthy baby. Uh, by this point, FedEx had been uh, pretty much well on the way uh, toward being ruined. The, uh, the, the, the crack had opened up into the abyss. Uh, the Red Death was mostly through things. The land is blasted. Uh, most people are muties. And somehow, they're, good. They're lucky Stephen King didn't move to town because then things would have really gotten weird. Yes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the, the devil's crack is blowing more sulfur. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, at least we're not having walk-ins yet. Right. At least there. At least there are no there are no priests rolling around. <laughs> um. Yeah. But Mia witnesses this, and basically, like Frankenstein. Um, hung around and just watched the family for three or four years um, until Walter showed up uh, to make a deal. And over all this time, you know, Mia's standing there and kind of giving this presentation and she's showing like this projection of what she used to look like, right? This kind of incorporeal, perfect female form. Um, and it's not necessarily out of prurient interest, but I am really into the fact that Dada just gets horned up for me as true form. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I, I love that the Susanna's like, can you put it away? <laughs> put, that, put that form back in your pants. Okay. <laughs> this is... We're trying to, we're trying to burn the day here. Not, you know, yeah, it just like, it comes up a couple of times that like Dada would have been, would have been crazy into this. Like, okay. Yeah, cool. All right. Again, oh, and, uh, I, I... I love that 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 buddy show about Detta and Mia just rolling around town, like boning <laughs> people to death, and um, you know, yeah. just having a great time, like the original Odd Couple, Mia yeah. and Detta. <laughs> the original Odd Couple, jeez. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, no, and, and Mia and Detta don't get along at all, so it works. Yeah, <laughs> but Walter, Walter approached and made a deal, saying like, "Hey, I can." give you what you want. I can make you a mother can give you everything that you've seen here. Uh, but I have to make you mortal. I have to give you a body. I have to make you human. Uh, so you can live out this purpose, um, and fulfill this prophecy. Like you're going to be a cog in this machine. The prophecy being he who ends the line of Eld shall conceive a child of incest with his sister or his daughter. And the child will be marked by his red heel. Shall you know him? <sighs> poor roland just like oedipus he had no idea he was boning a family member nope no. look, what the, look, look what the cotet did they became a family yep now just uh what was it with noah happened to noah too oh shame it's a shame what happens uh <laughs> like hey um i don't don't mean to don't mean to draw attention to anything but um i'm not Roland's sister, you may notice the skin situation. Yeah. Uh, and Mia gives a little bit of a lesson in, in, in etymology, saying, you know, what do you think Din means? You know, is it is it leader? Is it king? And aren't leader and king just pale facsimiles of father? You know. Well, I guess when you explain it like that, maybe. But I mean, I kind of prefer that explanation to saying that Roland boned his sister. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, if, if it is a figurative incest, I don't know. I don't know if yeah. it technically fulfills. Like maybe you guys are playing fast and loose with the prophecy here. Prophecies are kind of bullshit anyway. So, mm -hmm. like, 
you know, who knows how much of a difference it makes. Um, but yeah. And, you know, Susanna starts, I think, start, starting to use this as ammo against because like, all right, so in what way is the baby yours if it is Roland's seed in my egg and I'm the one who's feeding it by eating all this junk in the night, you know, and you're and you just happen to be, you know, carrying it. Just kind of trying to undermine Mia's sense of, of <laughs> like, uh, you know, ownership of motherhood, right? Um, and mm -hmm. this is this is just a source of uh, a source of conflict, right down to the point where you know Mia or Detta straight up says like, "Yeah, how do you know they're not just going to grind that baby up and feed it to the breakers so they can bring the tower down?" So. Mia's Mia's still not having it though. Like there's no. moments where she starts to slip it a little bit and she's like, no, no, no. It could be as long as five years. <laughs> as many as five. He's not gonna be a regular boy. He's gonna yeah. be my special boy. I'm I'm sure I'm sure like a used car dealer would love to roll up on Mia, huh? <sighs> Sticker price. Yeah. I mean your interest payment could be as low as six percent. Yeah. Or as high as forty seven percent. It'll start at six percent, I can tell you that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh sticker price and not a dime more. Uh but uh so I skipped over a mechanical detail about what's going on. Um <laughs> the way that this happened was I mean we talked about this before. The, the there was an elemental, the beings that performed the deeds both having sex with roland and assaulting Susanna. uh it was the elemental that did sh shape shift back and forth um i think it was my in the, in the in the slack who pointed out that incubus and succubus shifting form like that is just a thing in mythology uh i i didn't know that detail so if i call that out as being like unusual or out of nowhere uh, there is a basis for that in, in, in folklore, uh, but it was this elemental that they coaxed into it. They just, they just stored the genetic product and then implanted into, into Susanna. And as the baby grew within her, it was transmitted from Susanna to Mia cell by cell, like a fax. I, I love that, you know, because we're in a place where science and magic meld. I love that Susanna has no idea what a fax machine is, but Mia totally gets it. Yep. I mean, a fax machine kind of is some witchy shit. It is. It makes weird noises. You, you know, like that's that's definitely a melding of science and magic. Yeah. Um, it, it, it only seems to work when the stars are right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, again, just the just the convolution. Like, did it have to be Roland's, Roland's son? Could it, could it have just been the Crimson King who showed up and, and did the deed? Does it have to be connected back to the first book like that? Yeah. I mean, did, did Walter give him the mescaline? Yeah. Like, did, like, did, the, was, was that necessary to prepare his, his loins to make something? I, yeah, I think that, I think that it's a step too far, a few steps too far. But it's what we have. Then we have mm -hmm. to. <laughs> we have to react to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they argue about all of this, and Susanna drops a choice line here. I just I have to highlight this because this is an amazing uh, folksy saying. Um, uh, <laughs> I won't say the baby's yours uh, because it's really mine, and you know it. 
a cat can have kittens in the oven, girl, but that won't ever make them muffins. <laughs> that is really good. Exactly. He's not going to finish on your kittens or your muffins. <laughs> muffins. Ah, <laughs> uh, Jesus. So, <laughs> so, regardless of all of this, we've gotten a little bit more information, possibly more truthful than it was at last. At least, uh, at least our friend Mia isn't one of these six elementals or what have you. But the mission has to go on. They managed to burn up some time. It's dusk now, but they go outside. Last episode, did we talk about the Church of the Holy God bomb? I don't believe that we did, no. Yeah, so there's the street preacher who kind of factors in a little bit, at least with one of the main characters of the, re regarding the tech corporation. Uh, this is, So Reverend Harrigan is somebody who... Uh, you know, a, a, a street corner preacher who looks exactly like Henchek. Susanna, you know, sees him and kind of kind of wigs out about this, preaching about the Church of the Holy God bomb, basically saying like, oh, one day God's going to drop a bomb and it's going to clear everything and we will be able to live paradise on Earth. Uh, and that is presented as a good thing. I just want to. <laughs> I just want to put the end times off as long as I can. Yeah. Just uh, I still don't get why speed them up. Like I, I don't know. I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing some upcoming movies. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I've I've pre-ordered some digital books on my Amazon for my Kindle. Like there's some good games coming out later this year. I'd I'd really like to play the Sinking City if I if I can. Please, can we not imminent in the Ashkaton? Exactly. <laughs> Slow it down. Yeah. Don't don't break the seals. Oh, but Su Susanna sends out her little distress call to him. Uh, saying like, okay, he's a twinner, you know, maybe he knows what's up. Uh, and Harrigan hears the call and leaves it be. He says like, oh, is this you, God, talking to me? And he falls into prayer. Thanks. And that is where we end with Harrigan doing nothing at all to help the situation as Mia pilots Susanna's body down to the Dixie Pig. This is a great section. Yeah. It's... um. There, there, there's, there's quite a bit here. Again, like my initial, my, my initial read on the book when I was approaching it for the show was like, yeah, not much happens here, but like, there's, there's quite a bit that, yeah. that is, that, 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 that is important or revelatory. And there are, you know, elements of it, the, the incest and stuff like that. It's kind of meh, but like it is, it is dipping into or kind of fainting toward directions of stuff that I'm going to be really, really into when we get to book seven. Mm, I am ready to get to the Dixie pig. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm ready to park my rig. You might say it's, it's really good in there by which I mean, it's really bad, but you got, you got all your, you got all your favorites. You got your low men, you got your vampires, you got your bugs. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be very good. Yeah. There's, there's some feasting, <laughs> some long pig. Yeah. yeah it's a real fat. Yeah. So it just any other thoughts on this uh, on this section before I go um, feed my cat who is very noisy right now? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm just uh, I love a good Eddie and Roland battle scene. Yeah. You, you know, uh, I thought they, they they both they both nailed it. We made some new friends. Mm -hmm. We yep. we faxed a baby. <laughs> it's a bonding experience. We faxed a baby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Into it. Oh. I um I'm I'm really looking forward to 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 finishing this one. 
Yeah. Um, so thank you very much, Autumn, uh, for joining me for this. When uh, So uh, where can people find you online? Um, you can find me on Twitter at, at Mrs. Greer. That's M-I-S-S-U-S Greer. Um, and you can also find me on the Duck Feed Slack and the Radio Free Midworld channel. Yeah. Um, and you can find me on other shows here on duckfeed.tv, or you can watch my streams of horror video games, um, on twitch.tv slash duckfeedtv. Additionally, I've started playing the first hour of new, uh, release horror games and putting those up on YouTube at youtube.com slash duckfeedtv. If you want to check those out, if you're into the whole horror thing, otherwise Patreon is a great way to help us out and ratings and reviews are appreciated as well. Well, so we'll be back next time. We're going to finish out the book next time. Um, and then we're going to move on uh, to the end game here. So uh, we will see you then. And until then, long days and pleasant nights. <laughs>